this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. In episode six of the Forensic Advancement season, Just Science interviews Ben Swalenholm, Evidence Screening Section Supervisor at the Phoenix Police Department, to discuss millennials and their future role in the forensic sciences. Millennials are a polarizing and often stereotyped population. Whether it's diamonds or dining chains, they seem to be scapegoats for the decline of many industries. Ben Swanholm believes that millennials are a group of people molded from the legacy given to them. Listen along as he discusses technological growth, societal identity, and generational values as they integrate into the forensic sciences. This season is funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to the Just Science Podcast, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I'm your host, John Morgan, of RTI's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, a program of the National Institute of Justice. Today, we are at the American Society of Crime Laboratory Directors in May of 2018 in Atlanta. And our guest is uh, none other than Ben Swanholm, who uh, is section supervisor in the Phoenix Police Department. Right, the evidence screening section, as we call it. Okay, there you go. And uh, Ben, are you a millennial? I am a millennial, depending on whose definition you decide to use. Something that's interesting, I'm kind of on the tail end of the, you would kind of call it Gen X, Gen Y, but I'm kind of in the mix of the tail end of where they perceive. So some people's definition is yes, some people's definition is no. If you like me, then you don't put me in millennial boxes most of the time. And then if you don't, then you'll know that guy's a millennial. Sure. So. Well, I was born in 1963, which was the next last year of the official baby boom. The topic today is uh, millennials, worst, best, or somewhere in the middle, the description. And this is merely meant to tease a discussion on millennials, narcissistic, lazy, entitled, optimistic, innovative, collaborators, and leadership. I know I can do at least narcissistic, lazy, and entitled myself as a baby boomer. And so that's a good start. Part of this is just the legacy that we have given to millennials, isn't it? Right. And that's part of the point, too, is that in my plenary session and what we're talking here today is they're not actually generally different from any of the other generations. In this age of media, they've been typecasted this because people in media had the ability to typecast them that way with significant volume. So the people that are running CNN, the people that are running the organizations that are providing the main source of information to the public are boomers, greatest generation, silent generation, and sometimes Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. So subsequently, they are frustrated with X, Y, and Z. So let's find somebody that can agree with me, and then I will feel better if I just tell people what my problems are. Well, that's true. It's kind of like a vent. So I think millennials are probably like my baby boomers in the sense that I was shocked and horrified at the thought that we would ever be the responsible people at one point in the society. I was like, these people around me are actually going to be running something down the road? I can't believe it. My kids are like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't trust any of my classmates to run themselves out of a paper bag. That's a baby boomer talk. Right. And, but that's <laughs> part of the challenge. And there's a shift that has, I would call it, occurred. And with technology, it's accelerated and exasperated that shift or split. 
So as we had the greatest generation, nobody talks about before the greatest generation. There's generations before that, but nobody seems to really care about that. And Gen X as a descriptor, and even the greatest generation, I think was Tom Brokaw or something like that, that defined them as the greatest generation. So years after they right, were, yeah. Right, and Gen X was only labeled 30 years after they started. So we've only recently been trying to put people in boxes and stereotypes, and I think that's more related to this shift or gap that's occurred because as society, especially in the United States, has accelerated in growth and technology, we're changing much quicker than we did before the greatest generation. There wasn't these generational splits because everything was slow and methodical. There was no big gaps or technology changes, you know, or exponentially changing how we can compute from one day to the next. So by doing that, you lose the connection from one generation to the next in that context, so then they become big scary monsters because of their differences in values and how those values are perceived. Well, the technology certainly has changed, and it's changed us as right. well. One of the things that I like to point out is that the phones that we all carry around, it used to be that we would compare them to the space program, like the Apollo shot. Right. But the Apollo computers are like, they've been left so far in the dust. Actually, the more interesting comparison is that computer avionics on B-52 bombers from the 1980s had weaker computers on it than what you'll find on the latest iPhones. So it's incredible. It is incredible. And, and the millennials, God bless them, that's what they've grown up with. It's a very different context in many ways. Yeah, and when it comes to that technology shift and what the millennials have experienced in that respect, it's that their life has been essentially a source of change or tension. Nothing is ever consistent to them or nothing's ever been consistent for them. Every eight months or every year, there's a new iPhone that's bigger and better than the next. So when you talk about their expectations of achievement or making the next level in their job or that sort of thing, you look at what the boomers and the Gen Xers created in relation to the significance and how fast things are changing. So they created this expectation that's unmanageable from those organizational standpoints for those individuals to move forward and succeed because they've created an environment where millennials believe in a year my entire life can change, right? That's how they advertise the new iPhone X. It's something that's so significant that it's going to change your life type of thing. Right. So. Yeah, and I liked my life. I mean, I didn't realize that I needed all of my electronics until I actually had them. Right, but the boomer told me <laughs> that unless I get the iPhone 10 or iPhone X, then I, my life isn't complete, right? So there is a couple of differences in perspective I have versus the millennial, and, and I'll try not to be crotchety. One of them is the world kind of made more sense when it was like, we worried about nuclear war, but none of us really thought that would happen anyway. Right. And so it was kind of like there were good guys, there were bad guys, you had a purpose, the country was moving in a particular direction, and then that was no longer the case. And so like, what are we doing? What, who are we you know, today right. as a people? And, I, and we're still struggling with that. Right, if you go back to what we were talking about with the gap, right? It's exactly what you're talking about. At that time, everybody was on the same page. Your values and motivations and what you were trying to do and succeed, everybody was there. 
-hmm. right? And there was a known enemy or there was a known process. Although that's overestimated. It right. was a lot more. There was, yeah, but that's yeah. mm -hmm. where everybody's stereotypes makes it as simple as possible, right? Sure. But it goes mm -hmm. to that is that, you know, the first example that you gave and the first thing that came to your mind when you're talking about that is we were all in the same boat, right? right. And we were all moving forward. So, you know, there wasn't as much terrorism or there wasn't as much like unknown in the world. And this aspect of millennials being they're just going to jump to the next ship or jump to the next job. It's more of a response based on the fact of looking for security than it is the fact that they're moving and jumping jobs. It may seem like they're jumping because they don't want security, but that's actually what they're looking for the most. They've grown up in a world where everything is unstable. Sure. And so they're looking for the opportunities that provide them the stability, but it comes off as they're just going to abandon you, you know, in six months to three years. So then you don't put effort into those individuals because you have a perception that they're going to leave. And then that just is cyclical, right? Like if you don't give them an environment that they feel safe and secure because you're not investing in them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go leave to find some place that they perceive will be more safe and secure. Sure. So it's kind of like reinforcing what we're trying to not occur or our complaints with millennials, for lack of a better term. I think we've also tended to do much tearing down of the people that we admire. And I remember, like, as a young scientist, I think of people like the Davids, David Hewlett and David Packard, who really transcended politics to a large extent, but they were the tech guys of the time in some respect. There were many others like them. Right. I just think of them as examples that are useful. And they weren't just about the stuff that Hewlett Packard was doing. They also cared a great deal. They were involved in you know, how science was thought about in Washington, D.C. And, and things that went well beyond Hewlett Packard's interests. I can't imagine Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg caring about forensic science in the right. same way, unless it was like part of their own, I mean, be really honest, their own ego. Right. That's not a good example. No, but the, it's 100% it's true and again goes to that sort of components that our younger generations are having to manage and deal with. You know, main tension point in their life, right, is you had the terrorist attacks that were almost immediately followed by the recession. And where did the recession come from? I mean, it's super complex, but at a base level, it was a lot of people not concerned about people and the value that those people behold or what they're doing in, in the impact to society that they could have by making those decisions. They're just worried about their dollar. They're just worried about meeting that next you know, quarterly sales call so their stock price doesn't tank and that sort of thing. So that's the type of impact that is having on the age demographic now that's coming into the to the workforce is and that's what they're valuing right they want to know the mission they want to know why they're here means something and is creating value to society and they have ethics and integrity to the actions that they're taking and where they want to work because they don't want the culture that they grew up in where my parents at 50 years old or however they old were at that time ended up losing everything sure. that they had and how that impacted them and how they perceived that. You know, to find a new job at 50 years old, potentially all of your retirement has been wiped out or will be in your search for your new job along with 
6,000 other 50-year-olds that are looking in the job market as well, where do they go? So they're like, well, they just want this and they just want that. Well, that's because in their world, they're trying to improve their world. Where you're looking as a negative attribute, they're looking to try to improve the culture. They're not looking to try to make you necessarily the rich person or the sure. most achieved. They're trying to make overall impacts more than themselves. They're trying to be bigger than who they are. And I think that's fantastic because the companies aren't being loyal. Right. Right. And the options that companies have and governments have are so much greater. So when India was in the news when I was a kid, it was because, frankly, there were famines. Right. right? That was the news out of India. Right. And the news out of India now is it's like they're competing directly with us. I right. mean, at RTI, if you pick up the helpline and, and say, OK, I need this help. There's actually a service center in India that's working with us, and that's part of what happens. In some respects, those folks are competing directly with the folks here around the corner right. on what's going to happen with the IT support. Right. And that's true for all of us now. There's no, they have PhD material science in India, and some of them are really, really good. <laughs> and that's, that's also part of the challenge, too, is that maybe a little bit more, you know, baby boomers, and you as a you know, PhD is a little bit different in that respect, you know, but a lot of the baby boomers, you could come right out of high school, right? And you've got a job that you can support your family on and be at that middle economic road, right? Mm -hmm. But then those same families, like they see the individuals that were in their age demographic, right? And the people that were maximizing in the top of their game were the people with the bachelor's degree or even the master's degree. And at that point, if you had a PhD, you were working in a college, right? You didn't have PhDs necessarily in normal course of business operations, right? right? Maybe you had a master's, but that was like the top end, right? So then you taught the next generation, like, well, if you want to succeed, you need to get the bachelor's degree, right? And I don't remember who mentioned it today. I'm like, well, is the master's degree now the new bachelor's degree, right? But you've still communicated to those individuals the next level of education is how you succeed. So then when you go to finding a job, they're like, well, I did all this stuff. I did everything you told me to do, and now you're sticking me in the corner doing the lowest level work when the individual that's potentially leading the company doesn't have any of these degrees and they're not valuing my degrees. But they told me that this sure. means something type of stuff as well. So there's some dichotomy and tension in that respect as well because what we've been told how to succeed is never happening. So an expectation was created, we met that expectation, but then the fairness component of that expectation never came to fruition either. Sure. It wasn't so long ago, uh, if you wanted to work at the FBI lab, you did not even have to have a bachelor's degree. Right. Right? Very different kind right. of environment in that regard. But if you go to like Asia, especially China and Korea and Japan and that sort of thing, you can't walk in the door unless you have a master's or unless you have a PhD. Like we talk about, oh, awesome people get into Harvard or Yale or that sort of stuff. And there's some competition to mm -hmm. that. In those countries, it is cutthroat, do or die. You have to get into these schools. You have to get a PhD. 
to have that job. And oh, we, and it's very hierarchical as right. well. Even after the PhD, yes. like how much seniority you have and things like that right. is also very strong there. Right, know? and working 80 hours and working 100 hours. And then, you know, I think Jill mentioned it as well when she was kind of speaking about millennials yesterday. Jill Spriggs. Jill Spriggs. A fantastic talk. Yeah, yeah and I, while I was sitting there, I was like, did she hack into my presentation and take <laughs> all of my material or what? But um, we've created that expectation, but we also saw our family and the people that we care about not being a part of our lives because they were trying to enrich the next person or make the next leap or step for them or that company. And we, at this point, don't value that ethic. So we're looked at as lazy because we're not working 80-hour weeks for the man sure. type of stuff. But it's because we saw our parents doing that and working for the man for 80 hours and never receiving any sort of feedback or reward or to get that. There was no gold watch for them even though that happened. Sure. So, and we don't feel like we want to be treated that way. So the flip side of this is mm -hmm. that a forensic laboratory, when they bring somebody in, and in many cases now it is generally a millennial person with a bachelor's degree, right. and they're gonna invest in training that person and they're going to have real expectations about what it's going to be like. Right. It's going to be very different generally from their expectations. Not always, but generally they're not going to really understand kind of like, it, it could be exciting, but not always. It's right. not that exciting. You know, it's work and mm -hmm. there's a lot of cases coming through and sometimes it's, you just got to be able to get through your throughput, right? Right. And then they'll be an investment by the lab and the person will move on because they're just like burnt out maybe or they just feel like, hey, I can get a better deal down at the med lab you know, down the street anyway, right. where I get better advancement opportunities and things like that. That's really hard. I mean, it's, it's an aspect of where things are right now that it may not be unique to millennials, but they're the ones at the age cohort where it matters. Right, because they're the ones that you're having to invest and spend the time in, right? Like mm -hmm. your Gen Xers and boomers are at the point where they're committed, right? They're so, they're so far into your companies most of the time at that point that they're not moving. Right? They understand at that point as a 40-year-old you know, or 50-year-old that their financial well-being for their future retirement, what they've been working for their entire life, is going to be potentially significantly impacted if they decide to move or go someplace else. They have the stability. They know they're not going to get fired. They understand where their expectation in future is. And essentially, they've been beaten down to the point where they potentially don't have hope that it's going to get better. So I was watching this video the other day about millennials, and this guy was communicating about how he was frustrated. He saw an article that millennials hate meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody hates meetings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just millennials. So sure. why is it the millennials' fault that meetings are in a bad place right now? And he put it really well and far better comically-wise than I can do, but... You know why they dislike meetings is because they still feel like they can say something about not going to meetings. And so they have hope still. Sure. So don't worry. It'll go away. Right? Eventually <laughs> well, it'll go away. Of hope. Right. We'll, they, we'll snuff that hope out before it's all said and done. Exactly. By the time they're in their mid-30s or closer to that, they don't have that hope anymore that they don't have to go to meetings or that sort of stuff. So sure. we all get conditioned. So like when we're three, right, what do we do? We run around and we're curious about everything. 
right? Like we want to learn and we want to do those things and we'll just go run over there. Hey, that's interesting. I'm going to go figure that they, out. They say three-year-olds are smarter than theoretical physicists. Right. Like really, their ability to figure stuff out from first principles is incredible. Right, but what happens yeah. as they grow up, right? Your parent gets annoyed that you're just running around crazy, right? <laughs> So they carrot stick you in a box, right? Well, don't go crazy over there and you won't get this treat, right? Or you won't get this allowance. And you go to elementary school and they carrot stick you there, right? Like here's a discipline, sit at your desk, stop talking, stop trying to engage with other people. Like I need you to just be over there in your corner and learn what I'm telling you and not bother me type mm -hmm. of stuff. And then we get into these laboratories and we're asking them to potentially be creative or think creatively, but you've only allowed them to grow up in a world where you give them defined parameters of what they get to do. Sure. You know, and that sort of thing. And so then they think they can achieve things, but they've been so conditioned that, no, you do what I tell you to do. And the boomers and the Gen Xers, even more so, were never given those opportunities to be creative and have that change and have that innovation so when the millennial asks, well, why do I need to do this? Can I figure it out this way? Or can I figure it out this way? Then the boomer or the Gen X are like, no, this is how I want you to do it. And that's a source of frustration. So sure. then they can't feel like you're not valuing me anymore and what I can bring to the table. So maybe I'll go find somebody else that does at that point. Well, we were allowed to wander around and be creative when we were kids. But the right. second we hit the professions, it was like, no. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting. So I'm going to challenge you on this thing about meetings because it really goes to my views on technology and operations. And that is, I think about grocery stores. Okay. And grocery stores are an incredible system. And generally speaking, when IT gets put onto a grocery store, it's put onto a very specific element of it. Right. And instead of like thinking in terms of the overall system, how are we going to transform this overall very complex system so that it's way more efficient than what it is? Instead, we're just going to be able to fire a cashier, so we're going to have you check out your own stuff. Right. And uh, one great thing about millennials is they have fewer assumptions about what technology can and can't do. They're open to the idea. Right. We think it can solve everything. Yeah. Be frustrated with meetings because meetings are our struggle to try to figure out how the organizational dynamic is going to get improved. We don't yet understand the systems well enough to be able to do it. Right. I'm not saying meetings aren't needed or shouldn't be done. Just the type graph that you're saying that millennials have a problem because they hate meetings. Right. Everybody hates oh, yeah. meetings themselves. The meetings do serve a purpose in many worlds, unless you're running meetings that aren't very good, right? The goal is to have a meeting that's on time, on purpose. You have a mission and you have a plan and it's going somewhere, right? Sure. But everybody still has all the other work that they have to do or the meeting gives them more work to do. So everybody hates meetings to a certain level you know, in that respect. And that hope of innovation and doing things, they're very task and tangible, sure. right? Sitting in the meeting, you want me to go do this. That's great. I'm excited about that. But sitting in the meeting and talking about it is limiting my ability to make the change that you just told me that you wanted sure. to happen and so, that sort of thing. So it's that same timing, right? Like mm -hmm. you want something new every month or every year and you're getting me excited that I get to do something and provide value to you, but you're now slowing my ability to make that change happen mm -hmm. by having that meeting. I would tell millennials two things in terms of advice, that their little conspiracy that they should be holding. 
and I'll, I'll take the example of latent print examination, because there's the older latent print examiners who do not want to see all the stuff about cognitive bias and quantitation and all this right. other stuff in. And I hope the younger ones are thinking in a different way. They're drinking in what mm -hmm. the system looks like and envisioning what it could be. Right, because they don't have to have the same assumptions that we had 30 years ago about what that discipline or any other can look like. Right. And the other, which we see all the time now, and that is this idea that, yes, there are times when you have to be in your narrow focus, definitely. Mm -hmm. We're all becoming more specialized. But the specialization is only going to be effective if you have this bigger picture. If you're thinking, I'm in the crime laboratory, but I need to talk to other people in the crime laboratory. I need to be able to talk to other people outside the crime laboratory and figure out implications in this intergovernmental way and understand how the processes can work more effectively that way, too. A hundred percent. And it goes to exactly what we talked about before, right? When you're talking mission, vision, purpose, and where does what I'm doing stand, right? They want that. They need that to be communicated to them as not, you need to go do this, right? You need to go do this or learn this because this is the context of the world where this is going to be valuable. And this mm -hmm. is the impact you're going to have in that respect. And going back to kind of the cognitive bias component of those things and not going down the cognitive bias line, but when you, when you mentioned it. doesn't even it, matter what the particular right, issue is. When right? you mentioned it, it's more about the aspect of transparency. And so if you look at a lot of the apps that have been created or the innovation that's been created or the firestorms that occur by those lazy snowflake, whatever you'd like to call them, millennials, mm -hmm. it's more centered around the basis is that you're not telling me what's going on and I know you're not. Just stop it and just let me know what the truth is and stop trying to dance around the situation. I mean, Facebook is, I mean, that's my generation, right? Like, Facebook mm -hmm. started when I was in college and it's expanded in 12 years and it's the biggest essentially company and social platform that exists today, mm -hmm. right? And when we found out as in the main component of the people that use that, that they were manipulating us and d defining how we were doing that, we went crazy sure. on the situation because we've seen that, right? And we're tired of those types of components. We create apps and build apps to figure that stuff out. You know, we don't have to go to a person and get them to tell us that it's not what we know it already is. Yeah, all, my, all people my age weren't surprised we were already so cynical. Of course they Right, were. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you didn't know they you were didn't know. you? What right. the heck? I mean, why do you think they want all your information? Right, because <laughs> they put their trust in something they knew since they grew up, right? Like, this sure. is the deal. This is where my friends are. I trust it because my friends are here, and we're communicating with each other, and it's a platform that hasn't done me any wrong. And oh, well, and they also, like, talk big game right, about how right. idealistic they are. I'll always be much more skeptical the more somebody says how idealistic they are. Right. And, and I know what's happening behind the scenes then. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's, you know, Simon Sinek has this, essentially it's on YouTube, but it went crazy when it went around about, he just explained millennials in 20 minutes, right? Like, sure. Well, I think it's a really exciting time, actually, to be coming of age. Again, I think every young person goes through this thing. Is it like, there's nothing left for me to do. Everything's been invented, right? Right. And one thing that I'm convinced of, absolutely, I know everything hasn't been invented. There's a lot of becoming yet to occur. And we have yet to figure out what's going to happen, especially with all this information technology stuff and all the ways that it's going to make us better. And there's amazing challenges right now. I know everyone's got their degrees now, right? right. I mean, everyone that we hire right. has a degree. Right. And we try to kind of leverage the background that they have. But it's like 
hey, this just gives you the license to make trouble. Go off and find find what the problem is and, right. and then learn how to solve it. Right? Yeah. Some of my coworkers and I that are even in the front end of the millennial generation, mm -hmm. we're now just starting to get into these supervisory roles where we actually get to look at those people and make decisions on hiring and not hiring and that sort of stuff. And we look at them and we're trying to ask questions to create disparity between you know the applicants and man, I am so glad I'm not on the other side of the table. Sure. Like, I don't know if I could even compete with some of the individuals that we're interviewing now and their capacity and their abilities, right? So my job isn't to compete with them, right? They are not a problem. My job is to facilitate their accelerated growth and contribution to the laboratory, sure. right? You could also look at them as a threat as well, which may be part of the tension sometimes because you're trying to interview them and they just explain the crap out of something and it impresses you so much that it scares you to the point where, yeah, this person's gonna just outshine me when it comes down the road as well. They are a sure. significantly competitive group, especially in forensics. We get 300 people for one applicant, right? right. So that's a lot of people to choose from. So the people you're probably getting in the end, oftentimes high functioning, top of their game, high academic level class people, when normally they potentially were gonna go be lawyers or doctors or that sort of thing. So you have to match and keep achieving and giving them something because they are high achievers and they didn't get there and become your number one out of 300 people because they were you know, lackadaisical and just took orders and sure. just followed the rules all the time in that respect. Well, so. I worry because I feel like I've joked about cynicism, but in fact, I have no respect for a cynic. Idealists are the only people worth having in the world. And I, I think back, there was one moment in 1992 when I was working on a satellite called Midcore Space Experiment. Okay. We had six instruments on the satellite. And we had a little ground station that we built, and we hooked up the ground station to what passed for the internet at the time. So we learned all about the internet as it existed in 1992, right. which wasn't much, right. which there's stories about that. But the one story I'm gonna relate now is that we were sitting around one day and we were like, wow, I bet you there's a lot of money to be made off of this. There's, there's gonna be something missing there? And we were all like, oh yeah, anyone who tries to make money off the internet, you know, they always get flamed and they, you know, they'll get 500 viruses and you'll never be able to keep it going. So no right. one's ever gonna make any money off the internet. And we were all like, oh yeah. We were also stupid, right? Because I wouldn't we were, necessarily say stupid. Well, we were too cynical. Well, okay. That's right. But there's plenty of things around now right. that are like that. And it's just like, keep your idealism because right. you can be a part of some amazing change if you're willing to do that. And that's that part, right, with the, a lot of the millennials and the Gen Z now coming in too, right, is they have that I'm going to change the world idealism perspective a lot more than potentially their supervisors or bosses because they may have been beaten down to the point that they don't have that type of thing too. As long so, as their student loans haven't already made them right, cynical before exactly, they Right, exactly, which <laughs> that's definitely a challenge as well, yes. Okay, so. Ben, I know you've got to go, so I appreciate the time that you've been able to give us this wonderful, wonderful podcast and interesting conversation about yes. millennials to be summed up in 30 minutes or less. Thank you for being on. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me. And listeners, thank you for listening in today to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. Please uh, go on whatever platform you have. Give us lots of stars and thumbs up. Give us a nice review and tell your friends and colleagues about Just Science, whether they be in millennials or silent generation or whomever in between. 
Glad to have everybody coming on board. Thank you for listening to this. Next week, Just Science will interview Amber Burns about the growing opioid epidemic and what the Maryland State Police Department is doing to combat it. The majority of these interviews were recorded at the 2018 ASCLAD Annual Symposium in Atlanta, Georgia. If you have an interesting case and would like to be a guest on our next season, which will be recorded at the 2019 ASCLAD Symposium, please visit our podcast landing page at forensicscoe.org forward slash just science podcast. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.